these uh, prayers were right on with the subject matter of uh, this whole series, really. This morning, we are beginning this uh, new series in Paul's letter to the Colossians, and it is my honor to provide the introduction and an overview of the major theme found throughout and I say theme because I believe there is just one, and all other topics rely on that one theme. Is this, since Jesus Christ is all-sufficient and preeminent, then he must be at the absolute center of all we think, do, and hope for. We will see how that flows throughout the letter and uh, directs our attention to what matters most and changes everything. Uh, you wouldn't think that a simple greeting that we'll be looking at this morning would be packed with so much, but this one, this one here uh, really sets the stage for the entire letter so as to uh, narrow down our focus to what we need to see the most of all. Um, I provided some background, uh, some background information, and what I call a thematic outline for you as a handout so that, uh, um, so that you can follow along if you'd like, um, but also that uh, you have sufficient time to jump right into the uh, content of the letter itself. Otherwise, uh, this would have been somewhat introductory, but there's just too much information. And so I put it, I wrote it down for you. So, yeah. And there's copies going around, so that's good. <clears throat> Before we open up this passage, uh, would you pray with me? Lord God, we come to you in complete dependence. Lord, we depend on your spirit this morning to open up your word to us and apply them to our hearts so that we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ and that we cling to you at the center of our lives so that everything is conformed to your purposes, and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So would you please stand with me, if you're able, and in reverence to the Word of God as we uh, read these first two verses of Colossians. I'm calling this section, as you can see in your notes, a family greeting and a blessing to saints in Christ. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you, 
from God our Father. You may be seated. Thank you. So while this opening greeting follows a traditional, uh, what they call a Hellenistic style, uh, with greeting and so forth, identification of self, it is expanded by Paul, elevated with words that transform it into something uniquely and majestically God-centered. And it carries God's own authority in declaring who we are and what we have as family belonging to God that cannot be matched in this world. And the rest of the letter just fills in the details and provides commentary that explains the full meaning and the impact of these words. They are loaded beyond what we can just see here in the surface at a glance. But if we stop and we meditate and we contemplate what they are saying, you'll see how it really summarizes the whole thing. When Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ by the will of God, he is assuring the Colossians and us that what follows has the weight of God's own authority. And it's and that is good for us. And it's good as and it's good as if you heard, it's as good as if you heard it from God himself as he concludes with and from God our Father. Throughout the greeting is family language. Timothy, our brother, brothers and sisters in Christ, God our Father. And it ends the same way. And I call that a bookend. The letter ends the same way. And that kind of language gives significant assurance that we belong to a family that is set apart as holy because God, because we have become children of God. We are people that by grace have been made to be faithful. We are saints, sanctified because we are in Christ. And that's a, an expression you're going to hear throughout the book numerous times in different variations of it. We belong to him as something holy. We have that identity because of the grace extended to us by God our Father. It is God's fatherly loving kindness and grace that gives us real value. We also have peace because of the same grace that brought us to Jesus Christ and included us in him. And it continues throughout our lives so that we learn to rest content in him and set our affections on him. What a beautiful beginning to a letter that will open up to our eyes the greatness of Christ's supreme benefit to us with an unsurpassed passion for his excellence, his preeminence, and his sufficiency. The only other book I think in the Bible that even comes close to this is the book of Hebrews. They are pretty much parallel in their, in their addressing 
the supremacy of and the sufficiency of Christ. Hebrew is a little more technical and moves along like, a, uh, like an argument, uh, presenting a case. Colossians moves along this with passion and zeal and this, this beautiful adoration of the sufficiency and the preeminence of Christ. As those in Colossae were also in Christ, where they were, we also, while we are in Grand Junction or wherever we might find ourselves in the world, we are also in Christ, set apart for Him. So let's look ahead at some of these truths that this great that this greeting highlights for us, which we will dig into more deeply over the coming weeks. At the outset, Paul launches into a celebration, a celebration of thanksgiving and then a prayer, as he often does in verses uh, 3 through 14. He's rejoicing for their faith in Christ because of the hope stored up from, for them in heaven, which they already know that they have through the gospel. And so this is a reminder. He didn't go into details of the gospel so much as he's reminding this is what you already have, and you see that pushes against any of those false doctrines that you're going to face, and it settles it. And that's where he goes throughout. That's his approach to handling these false teachings. He lays a solid foundation for the sufficiency of the gospel and our union with Christ so that nothing else will do. So he's already tearing down the value of any of the false teachings that might come their way. And then he prays for them that they grow in that knowledge of God and of his will and in reliance on the Spirit and on the glorious might that he supplies for faithful endurance. And then he rejoices how God has qualified them to share in the inheritance of, in God's inheritance as revealed, as, excuse me, as reserved for them in the kingdom of light. Paul then reminds us of our rescue out of the domain of darkness and in the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And like in the book of Hebrews, it doesn't get any better than that. From there, Paul breaks into a hymn, a hymn of Christ's preeminence in verses 15 to 20 to show that he must be at the center of everything in our lives. Everything. Nothing left out. He came to have first place in everything because of who he is and what he has done for us. Just listen to some of these highlights on that. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, created through him and for him. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from, the, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy or the preeminence or first place. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. <laughs> and through him, to reconcile to himself all things on earth and in heaven. Nothing left out. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see a little bit of repetition there? <laughs> it's all about him at the center. Jesus came to take over everything to have first place in everything, to be at the very center of our lives in everything. There is no other way to be better equipped to know truth from error than to have Christ at the center of our minds and our hearts and our wills. To know Him, to live through Him, with Him in us. The great mystery that He speaks of later. Something should grab our attention here just by its constant repetition. In Christ, or through Christ, or in Him, or by Him, or any variation of that is repeated about 33 times in this letter. And it's not that long of a letter. They said, I learned in advertising that the way that you really get people to understand that your product is the product to buy isn't just by putting a really, really good ad out there. You can have a bad ad, but frequency, frequency is what gets your message across. <laughs> Repetition. That's why there's so many varieties of Cokes and Pepsis dominating shelf space. This is that important. This is why he keeps repeating this in so many ways throughout. This should be a clear indication of Christ's sufficiency to be at the center of our lives, the center of our thoughts, the center of our actions. verses 21 to 27, we, we then see the sufficiency and the reliability of the gospel message that has not and will not change or be altered, that emphasizes our reconciliation through the death of Christ so that we continue to hold to the faith that is solidly grounded in God's glorious mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul demonstrates in chapter 1, verses 28, and then going on into chapter 2, verses 5, how important our solid establishment in the faith is by his own commitment to contend, to strive, to labor, for us to know with certainty what we have in Christ so that nothing can sway us from it. 
And then Paul returns to his argument for the sufficiency of Christ, this time pointing to his lordship in transforming our lives to strengthen us against deceptive philosophies. He reminds us that Christ embodies the fullness of deity and that he alone is able to make us whole and that there is no greater authority. And he reminds us the meaning of baptism, that we were buried with Christ and raised with him from death to life. And then he shows how that baptism is actually lived out in your life. You are, you see, you are immersed in these truths and in Christ himself and in one another. And then he reinforces that with the sufficiency of the cross. And again, points us to the preeminence of Christ in everything so that we can fully be satisfied in him alone without enslavement to man-made and unprofitable rules and boundaries that don't add anything to it. Once in California, a lady came to our church Pastor and I were there in the office, and she was begging us to come over to the hospital and pray with a friend of hers who was dying. And her idea was that, well, you know, get all the help we can get. And it's kind of what they were facing here. It was just, you know, just you know, this, this blending of every religion. She figured, oh, you know, if she could tap into the Buddhists and the, you know, the Christians and the Unitarians and and, uh, you know, just every religion possible, bring, you know, just bring them over and having them say, so yeah, we'll go. But uh, we went and we, we read from Scripture to try to uh, push past all that so that they, she would hear the Word of God as she lay there. And all, and we just heard a lot of groaning. It's like, okay, we'll leave that with her and trust God that that will penetrate. That's what we face even now. No different than what they did then. Chapter 3. I love chapter 3. I love all of them. But chapter 3 starts with no better way to set our course on a Christ-centered way of life than to gain a heavenward mindset. Knowing that we are joined to Christ who is seated in the heavenly realms gives us unspeakable security and reliable hope that sets us free to live for godliness in an ungodly world. We're so much, more, so much better equipped when we know what God has secured for us. When we have a heavenly mindset, we are so well equipped to put to death what does not belong to a life that is destined for heaven while being renewed into the image of God, our maker. When we have a heavenly mindset, we are well equipped to put to death what does not belong in a life destined for heaven. 
When Christ is everything to us, we begin to clothe ourselves in what sounds much more like, very much like the fruit of the Spirit. There's another variation of that. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, endurance, forgiveness, oh yeah, and love that unifies that all together. That's when we see that Christ is truly central to who we are. When it shows up in our relationships, and especially the most challenging ones. The fruit of all that should be a saturating peace in our midst. And as Christ is formed in us more and more, we overflow, as it goes on later in chapter 3, with songs that encourage and instruct one another so as to grow together in the faith. And from there it overflows into our homes and every other relationship in the community and around us as our words and actions are seasoned with grace. Then the end of the letter closes with more family greetings like a beautiful bookend of love and grace. So the blessing of grace and peace at the end of the opening greeting comes from God our Father who by His grace places us in Christ and that grace transforms our lives in ways that gives us an everlasting and glorious peace that, we'll find, that we will find nowhere else. The only thing that could possibly disrupt or stall or hinder our enjoyment of that grace is if Christ is anything less than first place in our lives. To be in Christ is to know Him as Lord and what place He must have in our lives. He will not settle for prominence. Paul was very selective in the word he used here. He must have unopposed preeminence in everything because he is preeminent, nothing less. When Christ is at the center, we are firmly established in His sufficiency, and we are safe, and our hope is secure, and minds set free from confusing ideologies. Christ must be at the center so that everything else is defined by, aligned to, understood through, directed to, powered by, sourced from, and tuned to him. That's what God's grace set apart. That's what God's grace set us apart for in Christ. And the transforming, and the transformation that grace is meant to produce in us. And that's when perfect peace results. When Christ is at the center, well, that defines grace and peace in the whole of our lives. That's the simple message of Colossians. Let me close with a few questions to ponder.
Is Christ Jesus everything to you? Everything. Is he your all in all? How close is Christ to the center of your life? Are your every thoughts coming into alignment with his? How close is he to having control of every part of who you are? And will you be completely satisfied with that? Does the gravity of his presence draw you in and hold you in a place of rest and peace no matter what goes on around you? Pray with me. Oh, Father, penetrate our hearts and minds with your, your will. Oh, Lord, cause us to cling to you. Cause us to embrace you at the very center. Father, be magnetic to us so that nothing else will do. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.